Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlsgott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. In our climate action plan, this looked like a solution that we could implement pretty quickly and it would have a pretty significant impact on our overall emissions. These things are not really that complicated, we just ignore them right now. And so I think there's good education to do there. And you know, the other side of that too is the landfill folks understand all of this pretty well and they're actually excited to have somebody who wants to work with them on these kinds of greenhouse gas reductions and sustainability efforts. In this episode, you'll hear an interview with Brian Campbell, Director of Sustainability Education at Central College of Pella, Iowa. Together, we discuss Central College's recent climate action plan with a focus on a unique landfill gas flaring project that came out of that planning effort. I hope you enjoy this November 29th interview with Brian Campbell. Well, Brian and Rob, it is really great to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for letting us. I'm excited to uh, have this conversation. It's a little different than previous episodes where I've it's been had been more of an exploration of topics that I wanted to learn about. Uh, the difference today is we're talking with uh, Central College, who has been a client of Fovia, and Rob is my business partner. Uh, so that this may be a little different, but I think it's an interesting story to get into. And we're here today to talk about the landfill gas project as our primary topic. But I'm sure if uh, previous episodes have been any guide, we'll veer off into all sorts of interesting topics around sustainability. Um, so let's start off just with basic introductions. Maybe, Brian, you can get us started if you want to just give us a little background on who you are, uh, where you are, a little bit of context on the institution, and then we'll go from there. Great. Yeah, so I'm the Director of Sustainability Education at Central College. So we're a small liberal arts college of about 1,200 students. The college is in Pella, Iowa, which is a um, town of about 10,000 um, in a pretty rural context, about an hour from Des Moines. And, and my role is really to be that sort of connector between the academic side of sustainability here at the college with all the different ways students and faculty can engage projects on campus and in the in that broader community. Great. Rob, why don't you give us a little intro of yourself as well, please? All right. Thank you. Yeah. So we started as uh, actually pre-Fovia uh, working on climate action plans with Cornell and and uh, UNC and and a few other campuses across the country and have been involved in this for more than a decade now. And it's been really interesting to see how the, the process of uh, climate action planning and implementation at colleges and universities and other campus environments has evolved over that time frame. And of course, you know, we, we have the opportunity here at Fovia to see a lot of that happen and uh, you know, we're constantly working, trying to figure out how to help our clients do that more efficiently and effectively. One of the reasons I wanted to bring Brian onto the podcast here is I was really impressed with how efficiently and effectively they were able to accomplish this at Central College. 
and do it in a very productive way with on-campus stakeholders. And from my perspective, and more importantly, the extended stakeholders uh, out into the community with constituents from the city, from the local gas utility, from the local landfill. And through that, I think they were able to identify some really unique opportunities that are going to be effective for them as a campus, but as I'm sure Brian will touch on later, also being able to leverage their influence throughout their broader community and even the, the region and the state. And so that's what I was really impressed with, with Brian and his partnership with his former colleague, uh, Mike Leberton on the facility side, and just felt like they were uh, a good example of, of how to get this done in a very positive and effective way. Well, Brian, with that ringing endorsement, maybe you can give us a little more context on what led up to your climate action plan, uh, maybe even stepping back to telling us a little bit more about sustainability at, at Central College and then how you got into this uh, climate planning exercise. Like what, what were you trying to solve or what had, what had you done before, et cetera? Yeah. So I mean, my background is really as a historian. And so I, I've been here about four years. And one of the first things I wanted to do is kind of understand that context and what was already happening. So Central has been doing sustainability for a long, long time. And Mike Luberton is, is one of the people who's behind that. As you said, he retired about a year and a half ago after 39 years in the facilities department here. So he really left his mark. He was the first lead professional in the state, um, built the first lead buildings in Iowa here on our campus. And, you know, just was always looking for ways to, to try new things and to really figure out how to partner with faculty and, and make that academic connection, which I think, like you said, Rob, is, is sometimes pretty rare for those relationships to work well, but they, they really do here. So there's been, you know, this history of operational stuff. Also, food is another area where there's been a lot of commitment to sustainability. So we have an um, organic garden that produces fruits and veggies, has a small orchard and um, permaculture plots and pollinator-friendly stuff and honeybees. Um, and, you know, all that is really, again, connected to this longstanding academic commitment to teaching and learning about sustainability. So it's a small campus, and I've been impressed, you know, for the whole time I've been here with the creativity and collaboration among faculty. You know, some places people are not always willing to try new things, but that's really the opposite here. People are always looking for ways to work together. And sustainability was identified you know, over a decade ago as this connecting thread. And so we have a, a first year seminar that's an interdisciplinary kind of introduction to liberal arts. And sustainability was the first topic that was chosen as this kind of common theme that would cut across all these courses. And so over a fourth of the faculty were teaching about sustainability and that really kind of organically led into adopting a core requirement. So part of our curriculum is that every student takes a sustainability course. And actually this month is the 10th anniversary of the faculty adopting that. And so in the years since we've done lots of workshops and faculty have developed all sorts of courses on sustainability that are in every department, as well as our programs abroad and all sorts of things like that. And so, yeah, it's really well integrated here. But the climate piece was something that I think probably not unlike many other campuses, you know, when when the first 
presence climate commitment, now second nature commitment, when that was unfolding, you know, we were one of the early adopters of that. We said, yes, we're going to move towards carbon neutrality, but there'd never really been any kind of planning for how to do that. And so like many campuses, we set this date that was way out in the future. And the idea was we'll just figure it out as we go. But part of what I was hired to do was come in and and help do a real climate action planning process and put some numbers on paper. And as you said, get stakeholders together and kind of figure out how we were going to actually meet this goal. Great. Well, yeah, give us a little bit more detail on uh, just the stats of what, what is the problem you're trying to solve in terms of your footprint? Like, where are your emissions coming from? You know, how big is it relative to other schools? Just just for framing. Yeah. So our emissions are around 10,000 metric tons a year. About a third of that is scope one. So our central steam plant that's runs on natural gas. A little more than half is scope two electricity, and then about 15% or so is scope three emissions. So yeah, so we wanted to look in more detail at all of those, understand, you know, in a, in a little more detail where we could make an impact in each of those areas, and then, you know, think creatively about what the, the opportunities are here in our particular context. Yeah, and Rob, maybe you can speak to where does that fit relative to other institutions? How does Central College compare? So currently, there's about 600 active uh, signatories to the climate commitments as managed currently by Second Nature. And Central College is actually more typical than you would think. You know, as Brian said, they've got about 10,000 metric tons uh, annual emissions. And that's pretty typical for the, the population of campuses that we're, that we're talking about. There are probably about half that are kind of in that range in the 10 to 20,000 metric ton range. There are certainly those that are less than that, but, um, but they're very typical. So again, that was another reason why I thought this was a good example because it's very uh, representative of many of the issues that a lot of the second nature uh, signatories are going to be dealing with. Talk me through a little bit about what what you looked at. I mean, I actually wasn't really that actively involved with this project, so I'm I'm asking this honestly. What were some of the strategies that you pursued? Um, you know, not just w- what ended up on the final report, but what you know, what did you discuss? How did you go through that process of figuring out what to even think about to get a handle on the emissions over time? Yeah. So I'll say two things. I mean, one, we were working on this in sort of 2015, 16. And one thing that that we wanted to make sure to do was look at our, our risk exposure, the financial risk related to things like the clean power plan and potential uh, future state or federal policy that could put a price on carbon. So I, we, we wanted to do some sort of policy analysis and think about how we could be ahead of the curve on reducing our our carbon emissions in that sense. So I think that was maybe somewhat unique compared to how some campuses approach it. Ironically, or I don't know if that's the right word, but um, we finished the plan right at the end of 2016, just as the presidential elections were wrapping up. And so at least in the short term, it looked like that risk of you know, more aggressive climate policy at the federal level was 
very unlikely. But I still think it's really helpful that we've, you know, kind of put that in the plan as something that we should consider in future planning. But, you know, in terms of mitigation strategies, I think a lot of what we looked at are pretty standard sorts of ways of reducing greenhouse gas emissions and saving on energy. So we did campus-wide audits of our lighting and all of our buildings and had engineers come in and, and put together pretty detailed lists of, of different things we could do in each building. We looked at opportunities for renewable energy, for doing solar and wind, both on-site and off. And then, you know, like, like Rob mentioned, we had this uh, group of people that we gathered together that was a pretty interesting mix. And we just spent the bulk of a day or two in a conference room together and talk through what were some different possibilities. And I think, you know, we came up with some really interesting ideas, some of which are already happening in the short term and some that are, you know, longer term things. So like I remember, you know, we were looking at transitioning our our steam heating infrastructure to hot water, which is more efficient, but also introduces all these all these opportunities for things like geothermal. We had our city administrator in the room and we started talking through, you know, we have a major sewer line that runs right along one edge of campus right by the steam plant. Would there be ways to put heat exchangers um, in that sewer line, lower the temperature of that pipe just minimally, but do some warming of the the water that we'd be circulating on campus? And so I think things like that came up that were precisely because we had all these stakeholders together. And and like Rob said, we had relationships with these folks before and have worked on different projects together. And then the one that I think we're going to talk about in particular was um, with our landfill that's nearby. So the South Central Iowa Solid Waste Agency, which is about 15 miles south of campus. And we just happened to be having a separate meeting with one of their staff that day to work on some waste reduction initiatives on campus. And she came into our to our conversation about the climate action planning. And we started, you know, looking into the emissions at the landfill and thinking about possibilities for what we could do with that landfill gas. And yeah, that that turned into a, a pretty unique project that uh, we can talk a lot more about. Rob, yeah, anything to add to that perspective? As, as we went through the process, Dave, we did a pretty typical process to what we do with, with most of our clients where we you know, as Brian mentioned, we started with a pretty typical list. And as you know, from our process, that's where we like to start with our clients. You know, there's no reason to recreate the will from place to place to place. Let's start with what most people are considering and then adjust from there. And as Brian said, this broader group was very helpful in helping process through what would fit, what wouldn't fit. We were able to get to the answer no on a lot of things very quickly. They either weren't viable for the specific situation there at Central College. They wouldn't fit culturally with uh, what was going on there. Anyway, there were a variety of elements and we were able to really get rid of a lot of those typical answers and then focus on those that would be most interesting for Central College. And so I, anyway, it just was a, a good, again, a, example of an efficient process uh, just from even narrowing it down to what are the core things we're going to focus on here? Well, and from what I've seen in the plan, you did end up with some typical solutions such as energy efficiency or maybe some long-term changes to the infrastructure as Brian was just describing. But 
I was struck by looking at the plan and, and noticing this landfill gas project. And it, it seems to have a different profile than some of the other solutions in that it, it has a really big impact in the short term, but then tails off while some of the other solutions take some time to take shape. But let, maybe let's transition and talk through that. Like what what is this project that you're considering? Where, where are you now, Brian, with this? Because I know it was just in theory when we were doing the planning work. Yeah. So early on, I think we we just quickly, you know, pulled up some data and realized that this landfill, it's a relatively small landfill, small enough that by state and federal regulations are not required to to do anything with their uh, methane emissions. So they, they don't have to do any, you know, flaring or electricity production or anything like that. And so, you know, they never have. And they report about 30,000 metric tons a year. So that is just based on, you know, kind of modeling the volume of waste and the age of that waste. And like you said, the way this landfill gas works is that there's a certain period in the decomposition of the waste where it produces quite a bit of methane, and then that tails off over a a few decades. And so we learned that, you know, there's a, a substantial amount of methane at the landfill, about three times the total footprint of our campus. And then we started talking about what are the different ways we could you know, use that since the landfill is not required to do anything. We, we do a project in partnership with them. There would be the potential for us sort of claiming credit for that mitigation. And then also the possibility for, you know, using that. Um, so we looked at what it would cost to do a pretty comprehensive infrastructure for capturing that methane, either to connect that into pipeline quality gas, you know, that would be able to kind of offset our natural gas supply for boilers or to run generators and you know produce electricity that would offset some of our electricity purchase. So there's there's actually a electrical substation and a gas pipeline quite close to the landfill. So we initially thought those would be great possibilities. And I think in the long term that that may prove to be true, but those are projects that are probably in the sort of five to $7 million range in terms of building out that infrastructure to capture a, a lot of that gas. And we weren't really sure whether there would be you know, enough gas or consistent enough flow for that to be a worthwhile investment. And so what we decided to start with was to look into just flaring that methane and there's a, a pretty simple little solar powered flare that just creates a, a continuous spark and combusts the methane. And methane is you know, quite potent as a greenhouse gas. So in the short term, it's like 100 times as bad for warming as carbon dioxide. And even over a you know, 100 year life cycle, it's 25 times or so the impact of carbon dioxide. So just flaring it alone uh, reduces that that impact significantly. We identified that as kind of the first step. And it was one of the projects that in our plan, we said, you know, this would be a prime thing for students to to sort of do some further study and and look at the feasibility of the project. So in retrospect, I think that was one of the, the best things we did in the plan was create this. One of the final pieces in the appendix is a, a list of sort of student research 
possibilities that could move projects along. Cause you know, we didn't create a plan and then have a big pot of money to just go and implement all these ideas. We had to sort of refine the details and make the case. And, and so that's what we've been doing over the last year and a half or so is students have continued that research. So we built this into one of these first year seminars and we had students uh, go out and collect data at the landfill over several weeks to monitor the percentage of, of methane. We identified there's five vents at this one particular part of the, of the landfill. So they, they just passively, you know, vent out the, the gas through these five pipes that are all in a row. And so we knew that some of those had methane. We weren't sure how much and how consistently, you know, we sent these students out, they collected that data over the course of a semester gave us the confidence that pretty consistently uh, several of those vents are up over 50%. So 50% of the gas coming out of there is methane. We don't know exactly the, you know, the flow rates and things like that that we'll get once we're fully installed, but it was, it confirmed that there's a good bit of gas coming out there that, that would be definitely combustible. As we as we realized this was you know potentially pretty feasible, we started working with the, the the engineers who who work at the landfill on you know what it would look like to tie one of these solar spark flares to this this series of pipes and to basically tie those five vents together. There was some water blocking the the gas in a couple of the pipes, so we had to sort of engineer a solution for draining that liquid and doing that safely because it's, you know, liquid in the landfill, it's leachate uh, potentially. And it worked out really nicely. The landfill has a, a grant they can apply for annually to do some sort of environmental improvements or environmental education at their site. And so the college basically put up matching funds. We wrote this grant together to the state uh, department of natural resources and ended up getting what we thought was going to be, you know, most of the money to cover the project, which was, was pretty exciting. And like you said, you know, this in our climate action plan, this looked like a solution that we could implement pretty quickly and it would have a pretty significant impact on our overall emissions. And we knew that would sort of tail off over the next 10 or 15 years, but it was the kind of thing that we were excited to kind of move quickly, get this done, and you know, give us some time to, to work on some of these more expensive, more complicated solutions. Brian, in our initial assessment, when we were modeling this uh, during the planning process, I think we estimated that this would have the potential to provide greenhouse gas mitigation in the order of, on the order of a third to half of your inventory. What have you actually found as you've studied it further? What, what are your current estimates? You know, I don't, I'm not confident in any better estimate. Part of what's continued to be the case, we've confirmed that there's a good bit of methane by volume, but it's, it's pretty hard to know at what rate we'll be able to extract that. This flare has a little solar powered fan that creates just a, a small amount of suction and in theory, a relatively consistent flow rate. But until we get the whole thing sort of built, we don't really know how much we're going to get. And so we certainly don't think that these five vents are going to be where the 30,000 metric tons of CO2 is, is all venting. So this is just one section of the landfill. But I'm still hopeful that a third to a half is a is a relatively realistic number. 
in other words, you won't be able to take out the entire emissions for the landfill with this one project potentially, but it may be enough uh, mitigation that could cover your campus since the landfill has more emissions than your campus. Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah. And, and this project, like I said, you know, we've gotten most of it paid for with this, with this grant through the state, um, some other grant money that the college has, has worked on. And, um, the flare itself is about is less than $10,000. And so wow. the bulk of the cost is really engineering these pipes, welding the pipes, and so we're hopeful that the whole project will really be less than $40,000, which in the scheme of things, when we're talking about, we could have spent five to 7 million on a, you know, a system at, at the landfill to pull even more gas. I mean, this seems like a no brainer as a first step and it'll help us to confirm, you know, do we want to build a more robust system like that? Do we want to do additional flares? So it's, it's a good first step. The challenge has been that, well, a couple of things. So we put together this this uh, budget and sort of got some estimates on what it would cost to um, weld this HDPE pipe and connect these five vents. When the actual bids came back, they were far higher than what we had expected. And so it felt like for a while this might end up costing us more than we, ex- you know, more than we had planned and that this grant wasn't going to actually cover it. But this is again, where I think having a good relationship with the folks at the landfill has been critical. So they're really committed to doing this. They think it's a cool project and it's the kind of thing that could be, you know, a good model for other small landfills, just like it is for other small campuses potentially. And so there's a, there's a fair number of landfills this size, um, especially in rural contexts like Iowa. So we kept kind of working at different routes that we could get this done in an affordable way. And it turns out this coming spring, so in 2019, they're going to be doing some other work constructing a newer cell at the landfill. And they're going to have contractors out there who are going to be doing pretty similar work, welding pipe and digging and stuff. So this is a one of those examples where you know, something that's a great project, but not cost effective on its own, but can be really ideal when the moment's right, when you're doing other work or other kind of maintenance and repair. And so that's the plan right now. So we are kind of rolling this into the the contracting work that they're going to have going on with some other expansion at the landfill. And so we're going to get this thing connected really as soon as the, as the ground thaws out and we can do it in the spring. So um, it turned out that's going to, we think, make the cost you know pretty similar to what we we had expected. Oh, that's great. Well, and can we back up a second? I, I want to make sure that listeners understand the math of how this works, because basically this has no impact whatsoever on Central College's infrastructure itself, right? Like it's not directly reducing your emissions, Correct. I suppose, except to the fact that your your garbage goes to this landfill, correct? So, I mean, it does have that loose connection. Yeah, and, and this is actually one of the interesting things. So, you know, this week happens to be energy competition on our campus. So, like lots of campuses, we have submeters in our buildings. So, the different residence halls are competing to see who can save energy. And so, as we were working on this landfill gas project, and I was doing the math, one of the things we realized is we do these energy competitions, we focus attention on electricity and 
you know, heating and, and that's obviously really important in terms of mitigating greenhouse gas, but the percentage of our overall footprint that students have control over in their dorms, you know, the plug load, the lights, the minimal, you know, changes they can make in thermostats, it actually is pretty similar to the footprint of our solid waste that goes to the landfill. And so, you know, even though we do, you know, significant amount of, of composting of our organics and all of our food waste, um, you know, just in terms of the the sort of standard math of greenhouse gas reporting, the amount of solid waste we send to the landfill is it's small in the scheme of things, but it's in some ways you know we ignore that far more than these other areas, and so we focus all this attention on you know things like plug load and lighting, teaching students to minimize that impact, but then we send waste you know quote unquote away and we forget about it. And so, so I think this is, there is some good opportunity for education around that and for, you know, raising awareness about organic waste and landfills and, and, and how that is part of the part of climate change and, and also opportunities for climate solutions. Yeah. It really is a game of focusing on the things that, uh, that, that matter, but that depends on your perspective, but go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I just wanted to interject here as you talked about the math and you know, one of the real benefits of this type of project is how quickly this can have an effect on the broader uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, obviously, this is a small project in the grand scheme of things, but if we could do lots of projects like this, some key things to remember, this is a landfill that is not required to flare, as we said earlier. So that makes it so this meets the additionality test for greenhouse gas offsets and mitigation. And so that's that's an important element here as folks are looking for projects like this. You know, not every landfill is going to provide an opportunity like this that would meet that additionality test and the other requirements for offsets. But this one does. And so it can have that that quick impact uh, early on and uh, and help make that uh, that impact. So those are just some things folks need to keep in mind as they as they look for these types of opportunities. Brian, I had one question for you. I wanted to, uh, you mentioned student involvement. Uh, what's been the feedback from the students? How have they enjoyed this project? What are some of the, what's some of the value that they have uh, harvested from this opportunity? Yeah. So I think, you know, one is just visiting a landfill and seeing piles of waste. Um, and, you know, we're in a relatively rural area. They collect waste from several counties. Um, it's nowhere near as big as, you know, landfills in a more urban context. But I think that alone, having students visit a landfill, understand, you know, what a landfill is and, and how that's connected to climate change. I think that's been great learning. Um, we've had several different classes now who've worked on this project and, and made field trips there. Um, so, so that's been good. Like I said, we've had classes collect data to prove the feasibility. This semester, we've had a class that's been drafting a safety protocol for students who'll do ongoing data collection. So once we get this installed, we're going to have um, a regular schedule of students to go and collect data and verify the the emissions. Um, so they're working on a safety protocol as well as a protocol for how we're going to collect that data. Yeah, and I see a lot of possibilities for future you know, student engagement as well for 
connecting things like solid waste into our thinking about climate change in the way that we're doing, like I said, things like energy reduction, energy conservation competitions and things like that. So I think there's a lot of ways we can do good education about organic waste. Yeah. One one of the things that's been interesting for me thinking about waste and recycling and composting and all of these different things, we have all these landfills that are out there that are essentially the sins of the past where we've been putting organic waste into these things for a long period of time. So this project really is only possible because of mistakes that were made previously, but it's really not a long-term solution. Uh, you know, this isn't this, you don't want to create more landfills. just so you can get the waste out of them. Right. I mean, it's more of an accounting glitch almost, but it is real emissions. I don't know if either one of you guys want to talk to that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's real emissions. And as you said, it's it's already there, and it's an issue that that needs to be dealt with. So if we can deal with it in a in a very positive way, there's lots of co benefits associated with projects like this as well. There's, as Brian mentioned, there's the possible energy, uh, harvesting energy opportunities. There's the uh, air quality opportunities, water quality opportunities associated with these types of projects. So there's there's a lot of, of benefits. And so if if a campus has an opportunity to influence a situation like this and you know add some fuel so to speak to the opportunity and you know put the students out there put just the energy even if it's not the funding the excitement and enthusiasm for the project there's an opportunity to influence significantly these types of uh, situations so lots of co-benefits associated with it and so yeah dave as you said we're don't go out and create more landfills and yes let's as brian has indicated here let's be very efficient with you know how we deal with existing waste and future waste and waste aversion and composting and all those kinds of things but where we have a situation like this let's dig in and try to uh, get it as quickly as possible brian you mentioned the global warming potential number for methane which is 25 times what it is for uh, co2 emissions i think the most recent intergovernmental panel on climate change number actually increased it into the 30 I think 32 range. So it's even uh, more impactful if you use some of the more recent numbers. Well, and Brian, I wanted to, you know, to, to that point or broader point around, you know, you don't want to create landfills just to create the project. That's really backwards thinking. And similarly, like, you know, I know there's a lot of argument around, you know, like eating meat, for example, but you know, you also can hear about hog waste being a source of, of bio biomethane. Um, did that come into the conversation when you were talking with people about that or how has this project been received? Because in one in one sense, it's really simple. Like you're gonna you're gonna burn methane off a landfill, and you're gonna take the credits. Uh, in another sense, it's really complicated. In that you kind of have to understand all the nuances of the carbon accounting and the greenhouse gas protocols, which, as Rob just mentioned, are changing. And like, how have you been able to get people behind a project that's sort of esoteric in a way? Yeah, I think. So, I mean, one answer is we've mostly, you know, the people who've, who know most about this are students who've taken a class and this has been a significant project that they've, they've learned a good bit. And I think you know, it doesn't take that long to kind of get it that different gases have different impacts and, you know, that methane, you know, just some basic chemistry of combustion, you know, people understand. Um, but I, I do think another student project that's going to be helpful to work at is thinking through, you know, how do we connect these, these offsets essentially with things like, you know, our study abroad travel, our business travel, 
you know, travel for athletic teams, things like that, that, you know, in the short term, there's, there's not good alternatives to fossil fuel powered flights, for example. So we're having good conversations already about how we build sort of modules into our pre-departure process for study abroad so that we can help those students understand how this project locally can be, you know, a way of getting them to think about climate change on that global scale as they're traveling to other contexts to spend a semester. Yeah, it's complicated to a point, but I think people people have to start learning more about this stuff. And I think that's true with things like, you know, how electricity and other energy systems work, that it's pretty overwhelming at first and people don't understand things like, you know, peak demand, but this is partly why we do things like have energy competitions and have real-time data to show to students to help them understand that it makes a difference when you buy electricity and when you use electricity. And these things are not really that complicated. We just ignore them right now. And so I think there's good education to do there. And, you know, the other side of that too is the landfill folks understand all of this pretty well. And they're actually excited to have somebody who wants to work with them on these kinds of greenhouse gas reductions and sustainability efforts. So they have a fair amount of land. This, this landfill happens to be on a site that was a former coal mine. And so they have quite a bit of land that they, they're not going to ever, you know, plant, plant corn, soybeans or whatever else. And they would love to have, you know, like a giant solar field um, and do other kind of renewable energy projects. And so they're really motivated about this kind of partnership and and doing more with this over time and and not just sort of leaving it at, you know, burning old, old methane from the past parts of the landfill. So we're having conversations about how they can do better planning of, you know, laying pipe that we can later extract methane from the the next cells that they're building and how we can do other projects like that. And they've also got, you know, 30 acres of prairie that they maintain and they're always interested in kind of bringing school groups and college groups and, and educating around these environmental issues. So it's been a really great partnership and I think there's a lot of possibilities for where it can go in the future. Interesting. Yeah. So the people that manage our trash actually do understand our trash. Uh, amazingly enough, I guess uh, that's obvious when you say it, but I, I think you're right. We just kind of forget about these topics. Yeah. Rob, what do you have to add there? Actually, I wanted to, to uh, ask Brian about some of the other projects beyond the uh, landfill gas project that uh, he's pursuing. I know he's been able to get some momentum behind a couple of other projects. And what are those projects and and how have you been able to get uh, administration's uh, approval and support for some of those other projects? Yeah. So uh, like we've been saying, this project is, in, is exciting in part because it's something we can do you know, relatively affordably and relatively quickly um, make a pretty significant impact and then work on these other projects over time. So solar is is one that we've continued to explore, both in terms of more installations on campus. We have solar on several buildings, but it's you know, relatively small rooftop arrays. Um, so we've started to look at at larger projects, the roof of our athletic complex, as well as some some land near our athletic fields. So we're looking into the feasibility of that, and and part of what we are 
convinced of, at least for now, is that we'll probably end up doing that with solar plus storage and using batteries to offset some of our peak demand. So we're actually this spring doing a, a small array, about um, eight kilowatts of solar that's going to be kind of a, a pergola, like a canopy in our garden. And we're going to have a, a battery that's going to be attached to that so we can start experimenting with, you know, so how do we, how we deploy that. And, uh, and that's another great project where several engineering classes are going to work on the design of the pergola and how we use the battery and, and come up with kind of ongoing experiments together with our facility staff around that. So, so that's pretty exciting. Um, We've also, you know, worked for years really on trying to figure out the right way to bring community stakeholders together to do a, a community solar project um, where the college could buy in, but also other um, businesses, residents, schools, churches, nonprofits. So again, really trying to, you know, kind of leverage our interest in in climate um, reductions with, you know, what we can do in the community of Pella. So I've got a couple students this spring who are doing a, a project with a coalition of different advocacy groups across the Midwest where they're they're mapping um, small communities that have done renewable energy projects, in particular communities that have municipal utilities and rural electric co-ops. So we're trying to put together, you know, kind of best practices and lessons learned in lots of communities, similar size and even smaller than Pella in part to push along you know, the project here, but also to really catalyze this kind of work in Iowa and across the Midwest. Because I think there's a lot of possibilities. You know, People are starting to, to see that and, and be excited about that. So we've done lots and lots more education about solar, not just with our own students, but with communities. So we have done community solar tours that, you know, where we take people to see the solar that we've already got on our campus, as well as other arrays in town. So there's um, some hog farms that have solar and local business and other places. So we're, you know, increasingly thinking of our sustainability education, not as really just focus on students, but the kind of broader community. So we've done these community tours. We do solar tours for political leaders. So um, both local officials, as well as people who pass through our state come caucus season, we've done some uh, tours for presidential candidates. And then we've started a renewable energy camp for, for kids in the summer. So we do a week long camp where they learn about wind and solar and hydro. And, and I think all of that is really about you know, shifting how we think about our our place and our community. Like I said, my background is really as a historian and a, a historian of religion. So the kind of intersection of religion and the environment has been an area of focus of mine for a long time. And I think I'm convinced we can't just make the financial case for these kinds of projects or just show the technical feasibility, but you really have to help shift the culture of the community and help people cultivate that sense of pride and ownership. Because I think with these, you know, issues like climate change and these big energy transitions that we're seeing, there's a real potential to provoke fear and resistance. You know, we're in a place where there's wind turbines that we can see on the horizons. There's a pretty good sized wind farm about 10 or 15 miles from here. We've got a hydroelectric plant being installed at the dam just at the edge of town, you know, more and more solar. And 
so, you know, I think we want people to take pride in that and, and be at the table to kind of shape what their community is doing and how they're doing it and who benefits from it. So Iowa's a state, you know, now we're approaching 40% of our electricity is from wind and that's great, but you know, that's largely from two giant investor owned utilities. And so I think there's good possibilities for how we as a municipal utility can kind of claim some of our own leadership locally to how we want to, how we want to make those transitions. And so that's been really exciting, you know, is to see several projects that kind of work towards those collaborative efforts in Pella and beyond. Yeah, Rob, I, I can see why you wanted to bring on Brian. It's a, it's fun to hear about a college that is punching way above its weight in terms of not just addressing your own issues, but thinking about how to change the community around you. Dave, that's exactly what I was wanting to ask uh, Brian here next is, so Brian, all that sounds amazing. And I appreciate the the focus beyond just the the economic case, but Central College has a lot of fiscal worries, not necessarily worries, but I mean, you, you don't have the deepest pockets in the world. So how are you dealing with that side of things and how are you getting the, the buy-in, the, the resources and the, the momentum that you need to be able to do these things that you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like many, many small colleges, we are struggling with, you know, declining enrollments and how we maintain budget and, you know, that's stressful for people. Um, and, and it definitely impacts how we do, you know, long-term planning and it makes it really hard to, to take on bigger projects. So, yeah, I think one key there is, you know, we, we had some grant money, we were able to put together this pretty comprehensive plan that does allow us to think about, you know, what are we going to do when, you know, we have a boiler break or a pipe break and we need to, take the next step with, you know, transitioning away from steam and towards a hot water system on campus. At least we have, you know, enough planning in place that we can see when we do need to, to make those bigger investments, as well as when there's opportunities for smaller scale things like we're already working on. But I think it also takes creativity. It takes these kind of partnerships, looking for things like grants and collaborations with folks like the landfill or the community. And yes, I think the way we've approached that is we know that if we're going to do a big solar project, it's got to make financial sense. We're not going to do that at a loss, but, but we also have to get people excited about it. And that involves understanding climate change, understanding that sense of community ownership. So there's, there's a lot more to it than just that financial value. First and foremost for us, there's the educational value of, of teaching students. And I think that's, that's where, you know, if we're going to solve climate change at the global scale, it's not going to be just by knocking out, you know, the emissions of a small college and getting to carbon neutral here at Central. It's going to be educating students to go out and solve these problems in the businesses they work at and, you know, the communities they live in. So I think, you know, I think people are compelled by those kinds of things, but yeah, it still has to make financial sense. And so that's why we haven't, you know, just jumped on a, a big solar project yet because we're still trying to find the right, the right kind of system that'll be at the right scale and the right cost. I'm hopeful, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy in a, in a 
time when, you know, being a small college is challenging as it is. Well, Brian and Rob, I, I want to thank you both for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Uh, I, I would like, Brian, one final question for you would be if people are really interested to learn more about the work you're doing there, especially this landfill gas flaring project that you've discussed today or any of the other you know approaches that you've been taking. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Is there a place they can go to learn more about what you're working on? Yeah, the easiest thing is probably to visit the visit our website. So central.edu slash sustainability, or they could uh, shoot me an email, campbellb, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L-B, at central.edu. Um, we don't have a, a lot on the website yet about the the landfill gas project, but I'd be happy to share with other people. And I'd love to hear about you know other campuses that are working on some of these same kind of solutions I think one one thing we're looking to do after we get this installed is to collaborate with a, a campus near us, probably um, Grinnell College, that also sends their waste to the same landfill to do peer-to-peer um, verification of some of our uh, our math and our data collection on the, the greenhouse gas emissions. But it'd be yeah, it'd be great to hear about other campuses that are doing similar things or other other strategies, other places they're working on. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Pleasure to talk to you. That's it for this episode. To learn more, you can always see the show notes at our website at campusenergypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Energy Podcast. This show is a free service, but if you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or just telling a friend about the show. As always, thanks for listening.